0: Uran. Urine. That's a oh, it in Canada, isn't it? Lake. Okay. Sade. Righteous journey, chase, hunt, trial. Righteous are you, O oh Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. I think
1: it's actually Kuf. We did Sadi last week. Kuf. Yeah. It, we don't have Jody here to change it. That's my fault. Go okay. ahead. Kuf.
0: Okay. Okay. Take that back. Sun on the horizon, condense, circle, time. I will call with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord, I, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. My eyes stay, upon, stay open though through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who devise, devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all Lord. your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you have established them to last forever.
1: Forever. Forever and ever. Wonderful stuff. Well, I've so, got good news for you. I'm going to read you something. I We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And um, uh, we don't have to worry if we're wrong about what eight verses to read before class next week because I got this, remember, this email back, uh, how long ago, about three weeks ago? And I want to reread it to you so you all know that tomorrow's the big day. Um, oh, we're talking about uh, Moses and Elijah will arrive on 923.22 at 923 a.m. Wow. Eastern Time. Okay, Uh, this is going to be Jacksonville Beach, Florida. So if you're not in your car going to Jacksonville, go now. (laughs) Location had already been given previously. They will be traveling by chariot of fire, drawn by horses of fire. Chariots of fire, that sounds like Vangelis. Okay, Uh, from the horizon to the shore. And their first stop will be in Ocala, Florida, a place known for horses from 942 until 1123 tomorrow. That's right down the road. We could be there in a couple hours, so we should just... Uh, Per riddle given, once they arrive in Ocala, Florida, then there will be tens of thousands of chariots of fire drawn by horses of fire with God's holy angels on them. They will first be seen in the east, just as Jesus was seen by the east star. God picked Florida because of our state motto, Sunshine State, for he shines through his son, Jesus. And Ocala chosen because they will be traveling by horses. USA is Babylon and the date of 923 is the day Jesus was born and the day tribulation began in 923 27 so we're in the middle of the tribulation period or the end of it right God yeah. has shorten our time of tribulation and it said Jesus said take the day off to avoid transportation and injury so take tomorrow off huh. these are the words of Jesus and I do not need followers on Twitter that's good because she ain't gonna have any after tomorrow, nor have I received any funds. Pray for confirmation. Okay, funds. We'll, well. Funds for what? I have no idea, we're, yeah, what do you need <laughs> funds for? fire for, for the chariots If, if or what? Jesus like, is coming tomorrow, you. what do you need funds we for? We cancel our dinner. Uh, you well, gotta cancel right. dinner, oh that's gosh, right. I, I can tell you that um, this one guy, uh, when everybody's going crazy over the, the uh, thing, um, the what was it, the uh, 23 September, about three or four years ago, and it was going to be the rapture, and we know that because of the sign in Revelation 12 or what, I don't remember which, but anyway, and the guy said, for sure, we're leaving. We're all going to be out of here, and then he, he came sure. up with a video saying that I need um, money to support my children, and my wife is left all this stuff. Well, what do you need money for if Jesus is coming next week? It, don't ever listen to people like that, okay? Just don't listen to people like that. That's the best thing you can do is to not listen to people like that. I'm glad somebody sent me that, though, because uh, I had forgotten all about it. But, hey, tomorrow's the end of the tribulation period, and on to the millennium, folks. Okay, um, today is the 22nd of September. Now, I should have known that right off the top of my head, but, because if you take one from 23, that's 22. But I still had to mm-hmm. check it out. Okay, September 22nd, it became a literal witch hunt. It all began in 1692 when the young daughter of Samuel Paris, the pastor of the Salem, Massachusetts Church, exhibited strange, psychotic symptoms. She experienced violent convulsions, hallucinations, and trance-like states. I'd been right through there, and all these witch places are still marked to this day. Shortly thereafter, her cousin appeared to be similarly afflicted, and soon the hysteria spread to several other teenage girls within their sphere of... their social sphere. Sphere. Yeah. Paris's own slave, Tituba, had entertained these impressionable children with spellbinding tales of the occult recalled from her childhood in the West Indies. Paris was at first ashamed and then alarmed by these manifestations in his daughter and her friends. When pressed, the girls blamed witches for their torment. In a sermon, Paris, Paris told his parishioners that witches were everywhere, including in their church. He warned ominously, God knows how many devils there are. The ensuing witch hunt was organized in a meeting held at the Paris home. Eventually, approximately 150 suspected witches were imprisoned and 19 were hanged. Most of the victims were either social outcasts or members of families who had opposed the ministry of Samuel Paris. Well, don't get on my bad side, folks. That's all I can say. Many were middle-aged women with no male relatives to defend them making them especially vulnerable. Paris's own slave, Tituba, was, the, was one of the first to be accused. In the midst of the hysteria, neighbor accused neighbor of witchcraft over the slightest pretext, such as the death of a cow or the failure of bread to rise. The final executions occurred on the morning of September 22, 1692, on Witch's Hill in Salem. Eight middle-aged New Englanders, several women and one man were hanged gathered at the foot of the scaffold were people representing every age group. 89-year-old Simon Bradstreet, recently governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, and other original Puritans still alive had left England over a half century earlier to create a Christian commonwealth in the New World. They viewed their own children as unfaithful to their Puritan upbringing and felt their utopia was being judged because of their wayward progeny in their minds by purging the witches they hoped to put an end to these tribulations and bring god's blessing on them once again also present at the gallows were 61-year-old william stoughton the judge at which the trials at the witch trials his generation watched the execution with resignation the condemned as well as the magistrates were all of their age stoughton's contemporaries didn't share the passion of their parents having been repeatedly told by them that theirs was a lost and unconverted generation. Representative of the younger generation was 29-year-old Cotton Mather, a brilliant young clergyman. Mather himself had been one of those who had examined the witches. Mather and his fellows considered the accused witches threats to their future and sought to get rid of them. Mather, a hardened witch-baiter in his youth, (laughs) youth, was to become a leading minister and theologian of his day. He was one of the founders of Yale College, organized to prepare ministers of the gospel. The young girls who had been the accusers of the witches were also present. Their shrieking and twitching reminded everyone what the witches had done. From the last of the original Puritans, who had helped create Massachusetts as God's city on a hill, to the youngest children who would someday be citizens of the future United States of America, this crowd at the final witch hanging witnessed a unique moment in, human, in American history. After the executions, the neighboring ministers took action to end the witch trials. A year later, Samuel Paris, by then realizing his own responsibility for these shameful events, described his remorse for the executions in a sermon. He acknowledged that the wounds of their victims accuseth us as the vile actors. Acts 13:22. do you feel guilt over the, oh, not yet, not, hang on. Do you feel guilt over the darkest deeds of your life? even though they may have occurred long ago Christ will forgive the most heinous sins if we truly repent confessing our sins and trusting him as the one who paid the penalty for all our sins on the cross king David committed adult excuse me king David committed adultery and murder but because he truly repented God forgave him and he is referred to as a man after God's own heart that is Acts 13:22. And then 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. Okay, so there you go with that. uh, Something that is obviously as ridiculous as the thing that we just read about Jesus and Elijah and Moses showing up tomorrow. But this is what people do when they don't focus on the word and they get off on all kinds of tangents in the world. So there you go with that. Let's see here. The will forgive
0: you. But you will pay a price. You'll pay a price. That's right. So We're he here just for rewards. How many women for, for naught?
1: Yeah, just for nothing. Like, I'm you know. sorry from the pulpit. That's and enough. He, like, okay. they, he should have just stepped down from the pulpit. Is what he should have done after that kind of a disgrace. But whatever. It just, I just don't know what causes people to get so far off in their thinking that they get into this kind of stuff. But anyway. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that we have a sure hope in Jesus and that you are the avenger of all things. We don't need to worry about that because you will take care of all of the misdeeds of all humanity, including ours even to this day. You've already set everything in motion to do that. And for the redeemed, we'll have to stand before you for rewards and losses. And for those who are not saved, Lord, help us to be willing to speak out to them today. Help us to be willing to share this message before the day comes when we can no longer share it. People need you, Lord. They need to hear the good news and they need to uh, find hope. And uh, they need to find hope in this terrible world that's getting worse by the day. Lord, thank you for your wonderful hand upon us. Thank you for the gift of Christ our Lord and thank you for this class. We pray for it that it would be handled properly and that uh, <coughs> that what we say would be proper and responsible. And if there's anything that is incorrect, please allow us to correct it according to your wisdom. We pr- <coughs> excuse me. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. <coughs> oh boy. Wow. Got something up there. <coughs> okay, we are in we've read that we've done that we are in colossians chapter 2 now i know we are yes we're in colossians 2 and we are in verse 2 and so you we'll might as well just start at right at the beginning 1.
0: i want you to know how much i am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally too my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and unite in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mysteries of God, namely Christ.
1: Okay, it's so different that it's hard to think it's the same sentence. Okay, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Okay, so they said mysteries. This is mystery. We'll see which is right. Um, uh, You know, one thing I didn't mention is we've got John and Shauna here again. Uh, They drove all the way from Dundee, Florida to be down here for Bible class, and they showed up on time. Other people... I'm sorry. Somebody just walked in, and I I heard the door, and I didn't know who it was, but... uh, uh, I'd better not say anything, get in trouble with my mom. Um, anyway, they're, they're here. It's wonderful to have you guys, and thank you for making the effort. And uh, uh, they're uh, It's always good to see them. They come down once in a while just to share with us, and it's a real blessing. So, and your mom, too. Uh, and mom, too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, it's always good to see mom walk in the door. Okay, so we have, um, uh, yes, okay, we might as well start reading this now. I got myself a little bit thank off, you. but I didn't want to forget you guys. Anybody that's going to drive four hours to come to a Bible study is is, uh, certainly, wow, more. You know, though, I say that, but um, uh, like it's Ron and Shanna, they come down here from the villages for church every week, right? And that's about a two and a half, three hour drive. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a long time, but I've mentioned this before, is that um, uh, the story of, what's his name, our first president, Washington. George Washington would drive not drive, obviously. He would ride his horse as much as three hours to attend a church. And so wherever he was, he would do that. And imagine that three hours on a horse to get to church. And then you still have three hours to get back to where you're going. So that's six hours on a horse just to a ch- to attend church. So Ron and Shanna have their comfortable car. I'm sure it's got heated seats in the winter and has probably got... Um, You know, all kinds of, makes lattes over here and stuff. So whatever. We can't feel too bad for him. But it is a real effort they put in every week. It's just amazing that they do that. And not only does he do that, but he comes to the projects every Saturday. And he never misses if he's in town. I mean, he does travel a bit. But uh, he comes down here twice a week. And so um, there's a little bit of fudging on their part because they have a son that lives in Tampa and they will go halfway and stay with him at times and et cetera. But I don't know the whole routine there. All I know is they're from the villages and they are here Saturday and Sunday. So he is here and then she's here on Sunday. Okay, there you go. Just want to give them a little hats off because that's an amazing thing that they do. Um, Okay, commentary on 2-2. In saying their hearts, Paul's words, their hearts, Paul is speaking of those who had not yet seen his face in the flesh from the previous verse. The conflict he had was for them in order that their hearts may be encouraged. As noted in the previous verse, Paul's conflict was certainly a spiritual one. And that conflict, in that conflict, he had striven to bring them to a point where they would be content while facing trials and troubles of their own. Okay, so this is Paul's situation here and what he's feeling towards them. This was something that was and still is to this day expected. Being in Christ does not mean freedom from troubles. I wish churches would stop preaching that kind of stuff there because you are not going to be exempt from troubles and when you preach that it makes it sound like you are the problem. Because if the pastor is saying nobody has trouble then the pastor must never have trouble. And if all the people are agreeing with the pastor and saying oh yeah I agree with that and you're having trouble then all of a sudden you're the only problem in the church. And so the Lord must not love you or something. It's damaging. It's damaging to tell people that the Bible is filled with the knowledge of you going through trials and tribulations. Right. Yes, Burke.
0: John sixteen thirty three. In you this world you will have troubles. Tribulations.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> tribulations. Yeah, it's 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 set. We're going to have those kind of things. Rather, it often means facing even greater troubles. You got one trouble, and it leads into another, and it leads into another, okay? Paul desired that they would be encouraged through them, not removed from them. I mean, we do pray that we have troubles removed from us. We do pray that we would, you know, get our lives straight and not have those things, or that our mother would get better, or whatever is wrong in her life, our finances would suddenly explode into a profit margin, but that is not, likely in most cases. In most cases, we have one job, we can't find another, or we don't have time for another because we have a child, and times are difficult. That is life, okay? When a preacher on TV says, send in your seed offering, and they start telling you that that will multiply you, turn the TV off. That guy is lying to you. The only one that's going to get rich off of that dollar is him. That's the only person, okay? If you can't afford to give to a church, do not give to that church. That's the way it should be. What does it say? We were talking about this before class. What is the one to, requirement for giving? Well,
0: to support your teacher. Well,
1: well to support to your, your teacher, but it, that doesn't say monetarily. It says in whatever good thing. Yeah, give out of a glad heart. Give cheerfully out of a willing heart. That's it. Yes, you're to give to your teacher. So if you, whatever good thing it says. So if you have a Maserati, you should probably get your teacher a Maserati. Okay. One, two. We got about twelve Maseratis coming to me tomorrow. Thank you. No, uh, you know uh, that is a point that he's making. You know, if you're making cookies and you say I really love these cookies, and I'm say I'm going to make one for the pastor, okay, or the teacher, or whatever, that's fine. Um, but it's not limited to money. Okay, he got the right one. It is give willfully, cheerfully. Let him who gives give cheerfully. If you can't give cheerfully, don't. Okay, but and never be cats, pressured. we
0: have a cat,
1: can we give you a cat? That's not a good thing. Okay, <laughs> that is a, not a good thing. Okay, uh, you know what? I, I, we just, it's funny you said that. We just, and I'm glad I didn't find it, okay? Uh, under one of the stairwells at the mall I take care of, there was a little baby kitten they found, okay? And it was at the north end, so surprisingly, one of the people in the middle of the mall found it, okay? It was at the north end under Davidson's Drugs stairwell. And if I had found it, there would have been a different result and I would have regretted it for the rest of my life. And I'll tell you why in a second. But they found it and they brought it down to the sports rental shop this past three days ago. And they voted and they decided that it will be the the shop's cat. Okay, And they will take care of it mutually, make sure that the, it has the veterinarian and all of that. Now, this is a problem because I got all my birds I feed out there every day. And it, Once it's big enough, it's going to be chasing away my birds, but that's okay. He's going to have to deal with the raccoon, and I don't think he's going to want to do that. So anyway, here's the deal. They have this little kitten, and I, they told me about it. They actually called me so that I know so that I don't think it's a stray or whatever if it's out. or I don't know. They called me to let me know. And so the next morning, I walked up the stairs, and there's this cute little kitten standing there eating food. And I petted it, and I said, I'm so in love with kittens. I said, as soon as this is a cat, I will never touch it again. I don't like cats. And that's the thing about cats is they suck you in when they're young and then they have you they possess you and so th- this uh, cute little kitten uh, they're asking for names for it and of course I said you need to call that Charlie. thing Charlie that's what that's I said silly. so it's on the list they've got a whole list of names and they'll decide but um, they uh, they have their cat and it's very cute they have a, a you know all kinds of monitoring systems to make sure nobody breaks in and steal stuff And it's been sleeping in a basket on a bike at night, which is very cute, too. But eventually, I will no longer go in and greet it. But I have for three days now. So um, uh, I don't know what got me off. Oh, good things. No, that's not good. Okay, you said cat, not kitten. And Oh, and here's what I would have done with it. I would have seen that poor little kitten under the stairwell, me, if I had found it. And I would have felt obligated to take it home and take care of it and then I would have been stuck with it for the next 72 years. I'm, doesn't interest me. Okay, I'm a dog person. Okay, we'll say this now. One way for this to happen, going back to what we were saying before we got diverted by those things, um, would be for them to be knit together in love. That's Paul's words, knit together in love. A unified body is a body which can support one another through times of trial. Add in love and it is a source of great comfort and even joy. Facing trials alone can be miserable, but when facing them with others, there is strength and resolve which can, which is often otherwise lacking. Paul prayed for this to be the case among them. Now, that's exactly why we have husbands and wives. That's why God has ordained that, is so that we can work through things together. If you have two guys, you're always going to have it from a guy perspective, and it's not a harmonious thing. I'm not saying that guys can't agree on things. I'm saying about the way that things develop in the world. Women think differently than men. Men think differently than women. That's not going to change by cutting off body parts. You are going to have the same mind that you have always had and when you complement one another the way the lord intended you are able to take care of issues in a way that is no way possible in any other way okay so uh that's just a point that i didn't have in my notes but i know is true when you work together as husband and wife you will be able to handle things together in a way that you would not be able to handle alone or if you went to the bar with all your drinking buddies and sat there and they give you the wrong advice okay women and men living together as husband and wife will be a complement to each other. Okay, however, he desired more, Paul, he desired more. He also wished for them to, here is his words, to attain to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. These words look forward to the coming words as the object for which they should be encouraged and knit together. The riches are what are contained in the object to be mentioned the full assurance is the benefit of having those riches and the understanding is what make the other two possible i'll read that again so you got it these words look forward to the coming words as the object for which they should be encouraged and knit together the people the riches are what are contained in the object to be mentioned the full assurance is the benefit of having those riches and the understanding is what makes the other two possible. In understanding what he will mention, there will be full assurance, and the riches will be fully obtained. And so he next relays what he is referring to with the words, here's Paul's words, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Obviously, this is something that is important to Paul, He wants us to understand it, the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, okay? Paul is talking theology here. He's talking about something that many people will never talk about in their church. They don't understand the doctrine of Christ. They don't understand the doctrine of the Godhead. They don't understand the doctrine of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and people take those things and they twist them all the time. It's been happening since the Bible was written. That's why some of these epistles are actually written, so we understand these things. It's been happening ever since. People take things, they twist things, they pull things that are not intended to be, and they put them out there on the internet to confuse people and say, see, this is the best text. This is the best uh, uh, translation. This is... and." they have no idea what they're talking about. They're just sending things out there to meet their agenda and then people read those things and they start pulling on their face and saying, oh, that's the best text. That's all. that's the best translation, okay? Don't get into that. Be very careful when somebody says this is the best to say to yourself, why? Just because somebody says that this is the best, like... I see it every day when I do my Bible commentaries. I always read other people's commentaries to make sure that I'm kind of on the right track with my own thinking. And then maybe somebody will give me an insight I hadn't thought of, or they'll confirm something that I know is incorrect by reading it, okay? And one of the things I see very often is the oldest and best best texts say. I read that at least five times a week. The oldest and best texts say. And so what they do is they're saying that the oldest text is, by default, the best text. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Just because something is older does not mean it is better. It may be better. It may not be better. Okay, but for somebody to say, well, yes, the Byzantine is a good uh, source text, but the Alexandrian is older, we know it dates back this far, and so it must be better, does not logically follow. Okay, that is not how those things work. Um, Talking about not logically following, I'm going to get off on a rabbit trail right now because somebody sent me an email uh, yesterday and I get this question a lot. And so I thought that I would address it. I'm not going to get into the depth of it. If you want to read my Revelation commentary, you can. But the question was, has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now, but it's something that would logically follow, which I brought that up. And so, Okay, um, if uh, taking the mark of the beast means that you can never be saved, because that's what the Bible says. Those who take the mark of the beast will be punished, blah, blah, blah. Okay, if taking the mark of the beast uh, it means you can't be saved, then I thought that salvation is of grace. It's not of works. So, how can it be that taking the mark of the beast, that's, that's a work? Does anybody see the logic there? Mm-hmm. Uh, does anybody see the fallacy in that? Because there is a fallacy in that. Salvation is by grace through faith. It does not logically follow that giving your allegiance to the devil is a work based on salvation. It has nothing to do with salvation. You have turned away from grace and you have made an active decision to follow the devil. That has nothing to do with salvation by grace through faith. Does everybody see that? Just because this is salvation by grace through faith, turning this down, it does not logically follow that this is a work based of which salvation is based. Okay? It's not. It's a rejection of the gospel. It's saying, I do not want that. I do not want Jesus, and I have made my allegiance with the coming Antichrist. Okay? It's not a work. It has nothing to do with salvation. That person could have said, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to believe in Jesus, and I want to be saved. He has turned away from the gospel. He has made his choice, and his end has come. That's it. Okay, so when you think of things logically following, like I was just talking about, think it through to its logical end, okay? Which source text is best and why? Well, it's not that easy because you have the Byzantine and you have errors in the Byzantine. You have the Alexandrian and you have errors in the Alexandrian because I've gone through this many, many times, but I'll do it again. Scribes in the New Testament Greek copies of the New Testament Greek were trying to make copies quickly to get them out to people. And by default, when you do that, you are going to make mistakes. That's all there is to it. That's every translation that you have in the Bible of the Bible will have mistakes in it because people, they don't understand context or they look up the long line, long wrong line. line. Boy, wow. Anyway, uh, you have these things that people do because we are called humans we make mistakes okay that does not mean that there is a lack in our new testament and the reason why is because we have this error in this text we have 5686 te- texts when i was in bible college okay now we've got more they find them all the time in old libraries and places they find these texts we have 5686 greek texts this one has an error on this line this one has an error on this line this one has an error on this line but Taken together, there are no errors. God has preserved his word. It is our job to find out where the errors are. And that's what some very, very competent people do at their time, is they research texts. And they do it with such a diligence that they do it with more diligence than a surgeon would replace your appendix or something or take it out. I guess you don't replace appendices. But they are very, very focused on what they do. And they have what they believe is the most reliable possible New Testament that we could ever possess. But then people will argue their own thing, and so you're never going to have it settled until the Lord comes, okay? But I want you to know that when we look at the New Testament, we have a reliable document, way more reliable than any ancient document, uh, any ancient document in history. There are, and I've gone through this before, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think I've got it in my folder over there, but we'll say there are nine copies of the, um, what is it, the Gallic Wars, okay? And all nine of them are 800 years after they were originally penned. 800 years. We've got hundreds of copies that go within the first 100 years of the New Testament writers. We've got some that go back to the first, te- first century itself. We have a reliable word. There's no doubt about it. Anybody that denies that and then teaches the Gallic Wars of Caesar or the Iliad of Homer is a hypocrite. We have by far thousands of times more, and not just original texts. We've got 14,000 lectionaries, which are commentaries on the New Testament, and all but 11 verses of the entire New Testament have got these commentaries. So they've written out the verse, and then they tell you what they think about it. Okay, we've got 14 thousand of them. We've got all kinds of other sources. So don't ever let anybody tell you that we do not have a reliable word. Oh, you had a question about that, didn't you? okay, there you go. You know what? Hey, my, my hair's standing up. I hope I answered it at least well enough for the time. And if you have more questions, just email me. Okay? Because uh, it was after Monday and Tuesday. I'm very, very busy. Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. I'm just frazzled. And uh, so I thought I'll just give you this information. Think about it. We'll talk about it more. Okay? Um, anyway, um, uh, there you go with that. We have a reliable New Testament. So don't, just because somebody says the older is better, that's not always true there will be things that we need to search out in all of these. Okay, but the point is to know the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. That's what's important there. The knowledge of the mystery of God, Paul's words, is that which has been revealed. A mystery is something once hidden, but now known. The mystery of God, which Paul speaks of here, is that both of the Father and of Christ... The word father is not included in many manuscripts. There you go. People need to do the diligent search and figure out, does it belong there or does it not? Was it added? Sometimes you have a Greek text and somebody will say, okay, to be clear, I believe this is speaking of the father. And so in the margin, they will write father. That's called a margin note. Nowadays, we call them footnotes because we put them on the bottom. But margin notes sometimes got transferred by people into the text itself. It wasn't intentional. Somebody just said, oh, this is the father. They meant to put it here, and so they—and that wasn't the intent at all. They were just making a margin note saying that I think this is the father. And then somebody says, well, this must have belonged there, and he wrote it over here. So that's how things happen, okay? But the word father is not included in many manuscripts and thus is lacking in most translations. It's not
0: here.
1: Okay, it's not in yours, but it is in this one. Regardless of this. And that's because yours is the Alexandrian text, which is the older and thus better. better. Right, okay. (laughs) The mystery is that Christ Jesus reveals the unseen God to us. That is what is happening, and that's what Paul is speaking of. He is a member of the Godhead, and in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. That is right in Colossians 1, how people cannot understand that and go off on all these tangents with heretical ideas is beyond me. It is right there, and Paul is reiterating it right now. This is the mystery which Paul is speaking of. Jehovah's Witnesses do this. They deny the deity of Christ. They deny the sonship of the Father, and thus that is the spirit of Antichrist, okay? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is fully God, and he is fully man. God the Father is God the Father. God the Holy Spirit is God. Okay, the Holy Spirit is not an active force, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would say. Or uh, who was it? You sent me something on Christadelphians a day ago. Okay, and she had some questions about what Bible did they use. Okay, I don't know, but Christadelphians, if you want to read up on, just go online and study what a Christadelphian um, believes, but they do not believe in a Trinity. They've got some funny ideas. It is certain, and I can be certain of this, they go back to the 1800s they used the exact same Bible that all of the other cults started with. Mormons started with King James James Version. Jehovah's Witnesses started with King James Version. Seventh-day Adventists started with King James Version. I'm sure the Christadelphians did as well. Everybody, and the reason why is because that was the Bible that people used in the 1800s. That was the big prevalent Bible. And at that time in American history, we had all of these court cases about religion and freedom of religion and blah, 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 blah. And the devil was doing a great, great work at that time because he said, we've got all these people with these crazy things in their head and I'm going to have them flourish. And that's why we have all these cults in the world is because people were following leaders that were charismatic like Joseph Smith or Ellen G. White. She had all these visions and so we've got to believe them. And so, but almost all of them came through the King James Version. Not for any reason. It's not a great translation, but it is what was used in America at the time. There was also the uh, American Standard Version. Some people probably still use the Geneva Bible. It was getting real outdated by then. But for the most part, King James was the Bible people used. Okay, this is the mystery. I'll go back and read the lessons. The mystery is that Christ Jesus reveals the unseen God to us. He is a member of the Godhead, and in him the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. This is the mystery which Paul is speaking of, which he's been speaking of all the way from chapter 1, okay, and which he desires his readers to know and to understand. In so doing, they will possess the riches and have full assurance of their faith. Great stuff there, and life application. Paul's words, I don't know what's the matter with my throat today. Paul's words always lead the reader to Christ Jesus. If a church is not leading you to Christ Jesus, you need to leave. If a Bible study is not leading you to Christ Jesus, get up and walk out. That is the purpose of Scripture. That is the whole purpose of Scripture. Yes, we are a part of it, and we need to be edified and built up and all that, but Paul's words will always lead us to Christ Jesus, as the whole Bible does. It is to reveal God in Christ he is the focal point of the Christian faith. Without him, God is not fully knowable. We talked about that last week. General revelation, special revelation. But in understanding Christ, we can then, or was it a couple weeks ago? It might have been a couple weeks ago. Couple. In understanding Christ, we can then understand God in a full and intimate way, which brings us joy and which also makes possible a personal relationship with our creator. Let us follow the admonition of scripture and fix our eyes and our thoughts on Jesus. Okay, I'll tell you a funny story about that before we go on because it's exactly that. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) Yesterday, I was asked to go to the mall uh, Yes, it's Wednesday, yesterday. Yesterday, I was at the mall. I always blow it off. I start at 6, and we get lots of noise complaints. Anyway, start at 6, and I usually take still 8.30 or 9. Okay, so, and I also take out the garbage and do all that kind of stuff. But I was asked to be there by 8.30, to make sure we had a plumber that needed to come in and work on uh, a drain okay and at the same time the wall needed to be repaired it's starting to get damaged from water damage and uh, at the same time please stay a little longer because we're having a big air conditioner put in over the mail pack store okay and so they have to bring in a crane put it up there and the lady that manages the place wants me to be there to supervise them. So I was there doing my stuff and the plumber came up. I was already done blowing so I'm out there feeding my birds and he drove by thinking I was a bum at first. (laughs) And so I'm out there feeding the birds because I got all these bags of garbage around me. And um, he drove by and then he came back and he's like, I said, I pointed, that's where you need to be. Oh, you must be Charlie. I said, yes, I'm Charlie. And uh, so he's working on the uh, wall and then I noticed he was doing something. He had free time. I don't like to really bother people while they're working because, you know, you just shouldn't do that. But he had a couple minutes of free time and so I said, can I tell you about Jesus? And he's like, okay. So I talked to him for about five minutes about Jesus. And I told him why he needs Jesus. I told him all of that kind of stuff. It's so funny what happened. I'm telling him about Jesus. Blah, 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 blah. And then I uh, said, so you need to accept him. He is the one that can forgive you of your sins. He is the one that can, you know, just give you freedom and, and peace. And I said, he told me he had two children I said it means you have a wife is that right yes I said then you need to go home and you need to tell your wife and your children about Jesus don't just keep this secret okay and then I walked away and then I thought oh you know I'll give him something to to make sure that it sticks and so I got a film about the, the Jesus film and I got a uh, tract and I put it on his car seat and I said hey I put something on your car seat okay thank you and then I walked back over and I asked him something oh I I needed to fix the wall before he put in the, the pipe. And uh, so I'm standing there working on the wall with hydraulic cement. And he, uh, he uh, said, where's your church? And I'm putting on the cement. And I said, oh, it's over in Gulfgate. No, he didn't. He said, where's your church? And I said, "Oh, well, it's right here in town. He says, is it over in Golfgate?" And I said, well, how did you know that? And he said, because I'm the guy that put in your toilet Last year, remember it was broken? The uh, the, yeah, the yeah, bolt yeah. holding in the ground was broken. And I didn't want to mess with it, so I called in Terry's Plumbing. And he says, I'm the one that did that. He said, what a small world. And I suddenly got this terrible thought in my... I said, I did tell you about Jesus, didn't I? And he said, yeah, we talked for 20 minutes. And then I thought, I must not have done a very good job. <laughs> Same guy, here's the same thing again. It obviously didn't stick the first time, so I'm glad he got to hear it a second time, and we'll hope it sticks this time. The track, maybe that'll help. But I thought, how could he be standing here talking to me, and I'm telling him about Jesus, and he not know that it's me? Well, obviously, I'm wearing these gross clothes, and I stink like gas and oil, and but... I still look like me i mean i'm not that different from here to there at least in ugliness so anyway there you go please tell people about jesus okay that's the main thing let us follow the admonition of scripture and fix our eyes and our thoughts on jesus and you're not doing it if you've got somebody next to you that doesn't know jesus and you do you're not fixing your eyes on jesus because he needs to know about it so please tell people about jesus okay two three let me get there before you read because it's just one verse Right. While you're okay, doing that, go, uh, yes
0: the last few daily um, uh, verses you've been pushing that a lot which is good oh
1: yeah once in a while you just got it you got to do that you got to remind people because I mean we get off on her and listen I want to convict people I want them to get up in the morning read that commentary and think you know what I haven't been telling people about Jesus that's what I want to do because I want people to tell people about Jesus. Okay, this this world is winding down, and it's winding down. Nice. I think really fast. Okay, so we that we need to do this. This is a responsibility that we need to take seriously. Okay, tomorrow. What's that?
0: Plucking tomorrow.
1: Is uh, tomorrow the twenty third. Yeah, eight forty five a.m. Right over Ocala. We are out of here, buddy. Okay, um, go ahead. Um, three.
0: Namely, Christ. Three in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and
1: knowledge. Yes. All the treasures. I'm going to read you mine. Now follow along. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. A little plagiarism going on I there, am? huh?
0: Wow.
1: Okay. Stored up.
0: Stored
1: up. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Stored up. You see, see they, they, didn't, get they didn't plagiarize. <laughs> but these two, somebody is going to get sued. Whoever did theirs first. Yeah. Okay, 2-3. The order of the Greek is... In whom are all the treasures, the wisdom, and knowledge hidden. That's how the Greek would read. The in whom, obviously, is speaking of Christ. Not the mystery of the preceding verse. Christ is the nearer antecedent, and therefore it is identifying him as the repository. Does everybody know what antecedent is? I use that word a lot, and a lot of people may not know. Antecedent. Okay. Just so we have it. I... Am going to the store. Okay, with mom and Tanji. Tanji is my daughter. Okay, Tangerine. Yes, my daughter's name is Tangerine. Okay, I'm going to the store with uh, mom and Tanji. And when I get there, she will buy me a sandwich. Who's going to buy me the sandwich? of the time, it is the nearest antecedent. That's called an antecedent. I am going to the store with mom and Tangie, and she is going to buy me a sandwich, would mean Tangie is going to buy me a sandwich. Obviously, my daughter isn't going to spend money on her dad at all, so it's mom, and so the rules of language are violated. But in the Bible, it is almost always. It's not always, but it is almost always The nearest antecedent. When you go to Daniel 9 and you want to know who is it speaking about, Jesus or the Antichrist, all you need to do is follow the basic rule of interpretation, the nearest antecedent. It is speaking of the Antichrist, okay? Moses, I won't get into that one right now, okay, um, but you get the picture. So when I say this, the Greek order is the in whom is speaking of Christ, not the mystery of the preceding verse. Christ is the nearest antecedent. He is the one at the end before the thought is given. Okay? Christ is the nearest antecedent, and therefore it is identifying him as the repository. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Paul's words. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Or the what? Up? Stored, up. stored upness. Okay, the stored upness. The reason for introducing the thought will be seen in the coming verse. Paul is now identifying the true source, capital S, true source of everything which deals with true wisdom and knowledge. Okay, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth. Okay, he is the storehouse of all truth. He's also the storehouse of all wisdom. Now, I understand that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. woman. Okay, that doesn't mean that wisdom is a woman. Okay, that is just a way of speaking it out. And probably wisdom, uh, what is it, kochma? Is that the word? It is in a feminine form. It's a feminine form, form and that's why. And we don't have this so much anymore in the English language, but words in Hebrew and Greek are either feminine or they are masculine. It's something we don't really think about. Old English did have that. New English, for the most part, does not. But we still say a ship is beautiful. She's a beauty. A car is obviously a mechinot. Me- Mokhinit. Machunit. Okay, so there you go. Car in in Hebrew, okay? Um, It's a female, okay? And so we still have those ideas in our minds sometimes, but Hebrew and Greek have them with everything. Verbs will be masculine or feminine, and nouns will be masculine or feminine. And it doesn't mean that if it uses... Ruach is feminine, isn't it? Is it Ruach? Yeah, okay. Ruach is feminine. That does not mean that the Holy Spirit is feminine. Okay, that's a mistake in thinking that has nothing to do with it. okay, the Holy Spirit is obviously masculine in the Bible, but the word is feminine. So be careful with that kind of stuff. All right? There's the old saying, I'm sure I've said it a million times, is that when you go to um, uh, Greek or Hebrew class, the people that just took their basic, their course 101, they say that person is now dangerous, okay? because he knows just enough to be dangerous, not enough to be. Clear. Okay. It Sounds like they might
0: be soft sophomoric.
1: sophomoric Exactly. I run, that's exactly.
0: Rona made a great point on the ruach, yeah. which Yeah. Just feminine word. Right. But the way we also know it's actually masculine, not feminine, is because if you want to refer to the spirit, not right. just wind. Right. You say ruach hakodesh. Hakodesh, which is, which is masculine. Which is masculine. Otherwise, it'd be kdosha, and there is such a thing, but that's not referring to no the, referring no. To something like yeah. any holy there is a whole Article, the, yeah.
1: The attribute is in the same feminine or masculine form. But in the, the case of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit it, is it is masculine. masculine. So Ruach ha- Masculine,
0: even though the word itself is feminine. So it feminine. sounds even weird. Like, how's this feminine word, but then... Because
1: know, that's the Hebrew language. Yeah. Everything is identified in that way. And it doesn't mean that it's female and male. It means it's feminine and masculine. It's completely different. So be careful with that. Burke's got something. <laughs> John sixteen
0: thirty, but... When he, he that's right.
1: And when you look in there, it may say, it may not even say he, it may be a word that can be translated as this or that, but it will be in the masculine. Okay, so, and I'm not saying that it doesn't, I just don't know, but there are times where you'll be, like I. the verse I did today in Acts, it said this... Um, what verse did I do? It was X we're gonna get off on a little tangent just so that we have it out of the way because um No, the one that I typed this morning. I think it was thirty-nine. Hang on, I'll know in one second. Um, we are witnesses, which he did both in Jerusalem. Oh, 40. Okay, here. Um Him, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Okay, it doesn't say him, it says this. And then you have to infer the word one. This one God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. So if you have a different translation, what does yours say? This Acts uh, 10.40 in this Bible says, him, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. But the Greek reads this, masculine though, this one, okay, so you would insert the word one, this one raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people. Okay, but that is an example of what you're saying right Ten now. 10 uh, 10.40. 40.
0: But God raised him.
1: Okay, and, and, and got day. something different Acorded there. him oh. seen. Well, this will take one second, but we'll do it. Just because we're here, and I want people to get an idea of what's going on uh, with these type of things, it seems like everybody here has a hymn. But uh, if we go to uh, BibleHub.com, right there, all right, and then we're going to go back. What I don't know where that is, but okay, I don't want that first. But we're going to go to Acts, A-C-T, whoops, A-C-T-S, and then we're going to go to verse 10. And forty, and it says go. It says if it there. Okay, it took a while. Uh, toton, which is a dative pronoun, uh, it's masculine singular. This one is what how you would translate this, and then insert the word one. Um, the God raised up on the third day and gave him manifest to become. Okay, that would be basically a translation there. Okay, and then I will take you to the parallel of that verse, and I'll show you how different people have translated that, okay, but God raised uh him from the dead, but God raised him, but God raised him, God raised him, this one God raised him, God raised, okay, him, God raised, God raised him. Uh, let's see is there anything different uh uh God raised up this man, okay, God raised up this man, God raised up him, God raised, uh God raised, okay, <clears throat> okay, hang on uh is there anything different this one god raised up let's see here but god raised but god raised uh him him yeah this oh this one paraphrases it this or that same jesus god raised to life so they're just using the previous verse and they're explaining it to you that's the weymouth new testament okay and then young's literal translation which is always about as close as you're ever going to get this one God did raise up the third day and gave him to become manifest. Now um, the one translation that's usually pretty good, but I didn't like today was the um, um, NASB, and the reason why is instead of saying manifest, they use the word he became visible, and that makes it sound like he was invisible. Okay, he, you know, uh, and I don't think that and he did appear. He was not there, and then he was there when he came to the eleven in the sealed room, right? But I don't think that's the meaning of it, and that's not how I explained it in my commentary. When it says he made him manifest, it was saying that, and and this is explained in the next clause, which will be verse 41, uh, is that he, he didn't show himself to everybody. He didn't show himself to all people. So what he did is he manifested himself to Peter. He manifested himself to the 11. He manifested himself to Paul. Okay? It's not like he was invisible and became visible, even if that's true. That's not the point. The point is that he made himself manifest to these people. Okay, And so that is what's being said. He did not make himself manifest to all people. And that is because these people needed to be witnesses. They needed to also verify it. There had to be verifiable witnesses. Okay, But more than that, the rest of them needed to do what everybody else today needs Holy to do. They needed to believe they needed to have faith these people you've got the apostles you've got the 500 all of them testified and they were rejected by the people of israel okay there's no excuse for it two or three witnesses to establish a matter they had well over that they had an abundance of them okay and when the uh book of one corinthians was written paul says many are still alive though some still sleep Anybody that was willing to check could have walked up to any one of those people and said, is it true? Anybody. And so uh, there is an element that is uh, given to the people of the world that we must believe by faith. Okay? There was a purpose for those he manifested himself to, and he is not going to do it tomorrow to the people of Ocala. Okay? He's not going to do that. He All did right. It
0: to believers, not unbelievers.
1: Right. That's right. He manifested himself to believers. And then Peter is asked to go down to Cornelius and he is asked to preach to him the gospel. Okay. That's what was to happen. He will tell you what you need to know. Jesus didn't show up there. A messenger showed up there and said, this guy is going to tell you what you need to know. Okay. Paul even admits, I was born out of time. He was like an aberration to the whole plan, but there was a reason why Paul was an aberration to the whole plan is because he was the one to tell the rest of the world what they needed to know while Israel was under punishment, okay? So the reason for introducing the thought will be seen in the coming verse. Paul is now identifying the true source of everything which deals with true wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is referring to that which is general in nature, such as the need for salvation. It is from this general body that comes understanding. And so understanding is that which is specific and which deals with the intellect after it is applied wisdom. Hence, it embodies doctrinal matters. As the need for salvation is general, the way to be saved is specific. Everybody knows they need to be saved. That is general revelation. When I talked to that guy yesterday, like I said, it was as if I never spoke to him before. So I, I questioned my my salvation message a year or two ago when he was here fixing our toilet. But um, uh, when I asked him yesterday, "Are you going to go to heaven?" He said, oh, "I hope so." Or I said, I didn't even ask that. First thing I said is, "What's going to happen to you when you die?" He says, "Well, I hope." that I get to go be with my grandparents who are in heaven right now. And that's where I started from. And at the very end of it, when I was patching up the wall and he was telling me that it was over there, I said, next time somebody asks you, are you going to heaven? If you accept the message I gave you today, don't tell them you hope that you will see your grandparents. Say, yes, I'm going to heaven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's why he told him he needs to say. Okay, that is specific knowledge. He had a general knowledge that he needed to be saved. He did not have the specifics. Either he didn't listen or I didn't explain it properly. Either way, he now has the specific knowledge, plus he has a tract and a movie that he can deal with, okay? Understanding is that which is specific and which deals with the intellect after it is applied wisdom. Once again, hence it embodies doctrinal matters. As the need for salvation is general, the way to be saved is specific. In Christ are also found the specific answers to such general things. In him are found all things necessary in order to be fully knowledgeable about that which we need in order to complete our, be complete in our walk with God. Everything we need to do, everything we need to do from getting saved to living properly before the Lord and to all of the things that are necessary for our Christian experience Everything is recorded right here. It tells us about Jesus. It tells us how to live in Jesus. It tells us what's going to happen before we die, when we die, after we die. Okay, those things are explained. I'm talking about the spiritual side of it, not how you're going to die. You might get run over tonight or you might live to be 90. I don't know. But it's not going to tell you those things, but it's going to tell you what you need to know concerning your state before the Lord at those key points. Okay, everything you need to know. If you don't know this book then the problem rests with you or if you've been misinstructed we were talking about that before a class I was instructed one way is that his fault or is that the instructor's fault? Both. If, both. Well, yeah. Mostly the instructor's fault James 3 1 brothers not many of you should uh, presume to be teachers knowing that you will receive the stricter judgment but it is up to the individual to check what the teacher says it is up to the individual to know the word well enough to say, this smells wrong, I'm out of here, okay? Or to at least talk to the guy and say, you know, there's there's something I need to talk to you about. This is wrong, we need to go over this. But ultimately, your walk before the Lord is up to you, okay? It initially is up to whoever is telling you, and if they're telling you wrong, they're going to be held accountable for that. But ultimately, you are the one that's responsible for checking it out. That's why when you've got millions and millions of Jehovah's Witnesses all over the world saying, I'm going to go check with the elder on that, they are the ones in error. They have been told wrong. They have been misled. But they are now responsible for their own sad state. All of them. And they're out there teaching other people. So they're just spouting off what they have been told without checking and making sure that what they're now telling is correct. Okay, I'm gonna go check with the elder. Wrong place to go. Okay, you can check with the elder, but I would still say you need to support that from this book in context, all right? <clears throat> Hence, it embodies doctrinal matters as the need for salvation is general, the way to be saved, I read that already. Okay, uh, yes, all things necessary in order to be fully knowledgeable about that which we need in order to be complete in our walk before God. Here it is, we've got it. We've got the pages of the Bible. We don't need extra biblical revelation. It is not necessary. Okay, I typed the uh, uh, sermons. I think it's Joshua chapter 10. Yes, Joshua chapter 10 I finished um, this past week. So I uh, have Joshua 11 coming up next Monday. But in Joshua chapter 10, I'll talk about some things in there that are wrong in today's thinking in churches, okay? Because they involve things that are not biblical. What we need in our theology is what is in the Bible. Okay, um, you know. And when I first started preaching, I admit this. You go back and look at some of my older Genesis sermons, and I cite people and I talk about things that are outside of the Bible. I I wish I hadn't done that, but I had no reference to go by. I'd never, you know. I didn't go to college to learn to be a preacher. I had nobody teach me how to be a preacher, other than one course on homiletics, which. Uh, if you go to a a seminary they'll usually ask you to take homiletics which is a homily is like a short sermon write up a short sermon and we'll evaluate it And they're looking more for punctuation than content I can tell you that anyway um, uh, but other than that I had no idea and so I sat down and I think well how am I going to get people to like these sermons and now I don't care if you like my sermon or not it doesn't matter to me at all I used to think that it was a necessary part of it because that's what they stressed okay that doesn't interest me. I try to make it interesting to you at the beginning and at the end, but during the, the part of the sermon that's important, I don't care if you like what I have to say or not, because I am evaluating God's word and I have to take it as it's written. Sergio knows this based on something that came up in the recent chapter that I typed up. There's something that people are probably not going to like, but that's where I believe and it's completely, isn't it Sergio, it's completely contrary to what I thought was being said in that chapter. Completely. And that's why I say when you sit down and you actually analyze Scripture and when you actually decide I'm going to write a commentary or a sermon on it, you need to take every single thing which is presupposed in your mind and just set it off to the side. I'm not going to look at what I thought. I'm going to look at what this says and then I'm going to evaluate it. And by the time I was done with those two sermons, I was completely, completely different than when I started typing them. That's the same thing with Jonah. Jonah, when we got to Jonah chapter 4, I'm like, this can't be. But I had to go where the word goes, not what people have said in their commentaries and in their translations, okay? I may be wrong on J- Jonah 4. I do not think I am. I think that it's the right analysis of it, but the Lord will, you know, and what I, I, I'm always worried about that. I, even now, Jonah 4, all these years later, worries me because I'm the one that's going to have to go, Lord, I was wrong, and I can't get a reward for being wrong in God's Word. You cannot get a well done for something that is incorrect. But I wouldn't have done it unless I believed that it was so. And that's the same thing with Joshua 10. I would not say that unless I believed it was so. I don't care if people like it or not. If it's popular or not, it doesn't make any difference to me. I do, You know, he did something a couple days ago that... I, 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 last Sunday he did it. Okay, it's fine that he did it. I'm not upset at him, but I never look at numbers. Sergio's a numbers guy. He loves to know how things are working, statistics and all that. Yeah, he was giving communion and he gave a number. And I was like, I didn't want to know that. Because if it's a big number, then oh, look at how great we are. And if it's a small number, then oh, nobody likes this church. I don't want to get into that. It was right in the middle. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't matter that you did it. It makes no difference at all. That's fine. It's not something I would have done because I don't know and I could not tell you. I I I couldn't. All right. So uh, yeah, he remembered. So obviously he was like, Charlie's not going to like that. When I open up a video, I always try to cover the number. I don't care if it's a video that I did 10 years ago. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. It's just one of those things that if I start knowing how good or bad something's doing, it's going to it's gonna be in your head, okay? The only thing that matters is that we convey this word, okay? That's it. Okay, so um, I better read this again if I didn't. If we think through what we are being told, yeah, I don't think I've read this, then it becomes obvious that if there is a need to be saved and that God wants us to be saved, then he would provide that knowledge to us through the repository of that knowledge this is the purpose of the Bible which is the word of God coming from the word meaning Christ of God there is nothing lacking in what we need in order to be saved and in order to continue our walk in that state of salvation so that we can be pleasing to him it's all right there in the word here's a question that people will email me sometimes they'll talk about demon possession? What do you think about demon possession? What do you think about people casting out demons? And my answer is always the same. I don't. The Bible doesn't dwell on it, and therefore I don't need to dwell on it. I take it as literal truth that Jesus cast out demons. I take it also that there is nothing in the epistles that tells us what to do about it, how to identify it, how to do it, and therefore it is not a part of what we need to know. That's it. If we give somebody the gospel. They cannot, no longer be filled with a demon when they receive Christ. That demon must leave them. Okay, they can be afflicted. You can be afflicted by demons all day long. And if you are, you need to get into the word. Not this, this. Okay, get into the word. That is what will take care of that. You cannot be possessed by a demon. And the Bible does not speak of demon possession and how to clarify it or to rectify it. And so I don't worry about it. It's not something that I'm never going to go to a uh, a meeting where people are casting out demons. That will not happen because the Bible doesn't talk about it. That's not real. All I need to do is tell somebody the gospel of Jesus. And we know somebody that certainly had a demon in her young life. We told her about Jesus and that left her. And she has been as right as rain since then. The only thing that she hasn't done is live properly for the Lord in her state of salvation. You know who I'm talking about too, don't you? Okay, well, we'll talk about it afterward because you were there, okay? I can't say the names, you know, it's down in the... Uh, anyway, um, young lady, does that help? Okay, not helping. All right, that's all right. He's back there sleeping. Brain, brain dead, Charlie, brain that's okay. Anyway, so there's no doubt that this girl, uh, I can say this, I have no name or anything, but she wanted to take her on life. She was completely off in her life. And she got the gospel. She was told what she needed to do, and she changed just like that. Within no time at all, we were told everything is fine. We won't Lighted give. We won't. We won't give any more information than that. But I will say this: that uh, in her life since then, she's not lived a perfect life. She's made mistakes. Okay, that's because she's not in the Word. That's all there is to it. But I, I have absolutely no doubt. I saw the change in that person oh, from yeah. a completely despondent person to a person that was filled with joy at the knowledge of Jesus.
0: Sing it
1: what? it, Sing it in right mind. Absolutely. It was a her, but anyway, yeah, in the right mind. Absolutely. Okay. Um, if we think through what we are being told, then it becomes, I've already read that, life application. We do not need a secret wisdom which only a few enlightened people can impart to us. What we need is to get our noses into the Bible and to discover Christ Jesus. In him, we have all that is necessary to be reconciled to God and to be pleasing to him in that state of having been reconciled. That's what we need. Just the word okay you know and I know I I think about this I laugh about it when I'm out blowing up the parking lot and you know first I'm thinking about the cults and people and you know you get these people on I'm looking for news articles every day and there's some crazy person that does some crazy thing in a church and you know gives just a total bad name to Christianity and then I have to laugh to myself because while I'm out there blowing off the parking lot and I'm thinking, I can just see somebody thinking exactly that. They tune into the superior word and they say, that's a bunch of, they they believe in the Bible, right? They're looking at us exactly the way we would look at a cult because they're not thinking of the things of the world or of the Lord. They're thinking of the things of the world. And they're saying, and so here's this guy and he's telling all these people and that must be a cult in there. I don't care. If being in the Bible and holding fast to the word of God is a cult to them, that's fine. They can believe whatever they want. But as far as I'm concerned, this is the source of our happiness and our joy because this is what tells us about Jesus. And I don't know anything on this planet. And I've been all around this world and I've looked at every religion you can name in the countries I was in. I don't know anything that brings the joy and peace that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing. I know nothing that gives us that joy. If you find it, let me know, and I'll show you where you're wrong, okay? Absolutely, 100%. Okay, when I was in Japan, I looked into Buddhism, and there are all these different types of Buddhism. Then you've got Shintoism, which is the national religion, but they mix it with Buddhism, so it's called, uh, uh, well, Shintoism, but it's combined with Buddhism. And then, you know, you go down to Malaysia, and they've got Islam, and so before, on the way down, I read the Quran because I wanted to know what these people believe, Okay? When I'm there, there were also these uh, Indians, lots of Indians in Malaysia. Okay, so I want to study what the Hindus believe. And there are also other sects of uh, Indians besides Hindus, right? And we had Sikhs there. What do Sikhs believe? And they got some funny beliefs in Sikhism. But they are the guys with the the beards. They put them up and they put the pin in here and they They wear bangles and yeah, they got the turban. turban. Anyway, they've got five principal points in Sikhism that the men are to pursue. And you're going to laugh at I, don't, I can't remember all of them. One of them is to not cut their beard. Another is to have the turban. A third is to wear bangly things on their wrists. The fourth is there to wear baggy underwear. Okay, and then the fifth, I can't remember. I wish I could remember it, but they, they, these five pillars that the men follow. Anyway, um, there you go. So I wanted to know these things. I wanted to know why people do the things they do. And I can tell you that there is nothing like finding finally out about Jesus and finding out what he has done for the people of the world. And I said this in a sermon, I think it was recently, but maybe I said it in this class, but it is perfect. If you just keep reading this word and looking at what God has done, there are no loopholes. There's no mistakes in thinking, oh, well, if this doesn't work, then everything that God has done through the word is perfect. It describes every single thing Possible contingency that man will face. Everything. He's left nothing out that we need to know. You say, but what about? Man, the answer is right there. Jesus, okay? 2 4.
0: Okay, first, there's a quick, um, cute little uh, cartoon that I saw recently on that topic. This guy's praying up to the clouds Dear Lord, I need to hear from you. Please, please speak to me. The clouds parted. The Bible Bible comes down. I love it.
1: (laughs) Here, read this. (laughs) I love that. Okay, Okay. that's great. I love that.
0: Four. Uh, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments.
1: Okay, this one's a little different, but it says the same thing. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Fine-sounding arguments, persuasive words, okay? All right. Um, Two, four. Excuse me? Uh, okay, this verse explains the reason why Paul specifically stated these words concerning Christ Jesus in the previous verse. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ Jesus, and thus in the word which he has given to us, we find the true and accurate revelation of wisdom and knowledge. Anybody disagree with that? It is there. The true and accurate revelation of wisdom and and knowledge it's right here it's right here if people will read it okay every week I try to say it I haven't been doing it lately I need to get myself back into the habit of it because I have other things that I've written somebody needs help with something or somebody's done this but uh, stop watching five prophecy updates every week just watch one or two and get into the word okay and I mean that people that watch the prophecy updates probably think I'm just saying that because I want them to watch my sermons That's not what I want them to do. I want them to read the Word. If they want to watch the sermons to understand the Word, that makes me happy, okay? But I really, really mean what I say. Get into the Word. You're not going to have the wisdom and knowledge of God without getting into the Word. It can't happen, okay? Whatever we want to know about Christ, the Godhead, salvation, our relationship with God, and so forth. Any of those things and so many more will logically be revealed to us by Christ Jesus. And not by someone claiming that they have special, insightful knowledge that only he possesses. That's not realistic, but that's what people, they follow people like that. And they end up getting shot in Waco, Texas. Or they end up drinking Kool-Aid down in Guiana, French Guiana, by the way. Okay, this is what happens when people do these things is they're not willing to check with the creator who has given us his word. Instead, they're willing to check with a charismatic person, and the next thing you know, they're completely down some crazy avenue. All right? In saying that the Bible is revealed by Christ, one understands the Bible to be that necessary revelation given to us by the Holy Spirit, also known as the Spirit of Christ. That's Romans 8, verse 9. Let me read that to you. Just because I cited it, I might as well at least read you the verse. Romans, go back. Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, and I'll read you a couple of verses around it so you have it. 7, because the carnal mind is enmity with God. That's what I was talking about a minute ago. Somebody might come into this Bible study and say, Boy, they're a cult. They just hold the Bible, and they, they believe it like it's literal. Okay? They're carnal-minded. They don't have the spirit and wisdom of God. For carnal-minded, uh, uh, yes, um, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, the meaning of that is that in Christ, your flesh is dead. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do fleshly things that are opposed to God. Okay, that's not what he's speaking about. He is saying that you are in Christ, and therefore, you are alive to God in Christ. The things that you do in the flesh are not being imputed to you as sin. That's 2 Corinthians 5.19. That doesn't mean that you should be doing those things if you're not to be doing those things. I'm not giving you a license there, okay? That is saying that you are not being counted for sin. Because if you were, you would lose your salvation right now and it would be gone and you'd have to be saved again. You're not being imputed sin, therefore you are not being cut out of Christ, okay? Don't do those things though because you've got to stand before the Lord. You've got to give an account for your actions on that day and you're going to receive rewards and losses based on those things. But I'll read it again. Now think of it from that perspective because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, which is Christ, okay, the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh, meaning not in Christ, cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. You are now in the spirit. You are in Christ Christ if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That happens the moment you believe the gospel, which is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. That takes you back to Leviticus 18:5. The man who does the things of the law will live. And nobody ever in the 1,450 years of the recorded law lived. They all died. And so what do they need? They need something better. They need Jesus. Not law. They need Jesus. And you come to Jesus and then you are given life. That's amazing. There are no loopholes. There's no oops, I didn't think of that. I got to go back and rewrite Leviticus. It's all right there. Christ is the embodiment of the law. He is the fulfiller of the law. He is the ender of the law. And so when you come to Christ, you are not under law. You're in Christ. you have life. Why would you want to go back to something that causes death? Why would you want to do that? Okay, everything fits. Everything is logical. Everything is orderly. Nothing is missed. God has done everything. Okay, so, I don't, oh, Romans 8 9. Therefore, Paul says, Now this I say. This is his words, Colossians 2 4. As an apostle of Jesus Christ and as the apostle to the Gentiles, his words are guided by the Spirit and are thus authoritative. In contrast to that certainty, he continues with the words, lest anyone. Paul's words, lest anyone. Anyone means anyone. anyone. There are true apostles, and then there are those who will come contradicting them or claiming extra revelation beyond them. Okay, Ellen G. White, she went up to heaven. She had visions. She wrote all these prophecies and all these crazy things. And people followed her. Seventh day Adventists. Charles Taz Russell. Okay? He's married and his wife called him uh what was the term she used for him? He's like, you know, the she didn't call him Christ, but she, she had a word for him that was he's like this great, great prophet, okay? And then they get divorced and she said, He's the devil himself. <laughs> I don't know which one it is, do you? Okay? I'll be just a second. Probably the second. And such has been the case for 2,000 years. I'm sorry. People constantly tell me about their dreams and visions. They tell me about having talked to Jesus. I don't believe it. I will never believe it because we have the word of God. We have it. Let me read that again so you know where I'm coming from. If you disagree, disagree. That is fine. I'm not going to argue with it. You send me that kind of an email and I'll say, that's great. Nothing I can do for you. Okay? Okay. Anyone means anyone. There are true apostles and there are those who will come contradicting them or claiming extra revelation beyond them. Why would we need extra revelation if this is the word of God? And I'm talking about for spiritual matters. not talking about anything else. Why would we need it? And such has been the case for 2,000 years. There has been a stream of false teachers and false prophets since the beginning. This is certain. We got one Who will be revealed tomorrow okay this is certain because Paul's words are given to refute such people okay now I said something I made a claim an exclusive claim and I could be wrong because the rapture might happen in five minutes and if it does we'll be out of here before we prove her wrong okay right but assuming the rapture doesn't happen tomorrow will come and if it does we'll see if he shows up over Ocala okay there's been a... Oh, I've read that. This means they were there even at the beginning. Paul was writing about these people, lest anyone. That means they were there at the beginning. And they have been steadily making crazy things up ever since. The word should receive... Or, I'm sorry, the words should deceive. Lest anyone should deceive. The words should deceive are from a Greek word used only here and in James 1, verse 22. They give the sense of reasoning contrary to the truth in a misleading or erroneous way. These people use words which seem plausible, but will later disappoint. There's no true substance behind them. The persuasive words, Paul's words, the persuasive words are from a Greek word found only here in the Bible. They indicate words which beguile. People have the ability to weave words together which sound reasonable and persuasive, but they actually only lead the hearers down paths which oppose a sound walk with Christ. Okay, You'll get that a lot with the Hebrew Roots Movement people. They get you weaving together words and they take things out of Acts and they take things out of, never take it out of Galatians. Let me tell you, don't want to use Galatians when you're talking to a Hebrew Roots Movement person because you might make an argument against them, right? But they they weave these words together and the next thing you know, you believe that you're not supposed to be eating pork and you've got to be Whatever else, they pick out of the law and decide, I guarantee you that the same people that are standing there telling you, you need to observe the feast of tabernacles are not wearing tallits with tzitzits on them, right? Yeah, tassels. They're not doing it. Well, why aren't you doing that? Well, I don't know. Well, then you're breaking your law. Okay, yeah, exactly. she was thinking exactly what I was thinking. Okay, so um, uh, persuasive words, people have the ability to weave words. Okay, a perfect modern-day example would be a heretic who teaches dual covenantalism. One of the leading proponents of this false doctrine is an excellent orator, speaking words which are powerful and full of deep emotion over the subject he speaks of. And he speaks a lot about America. He gets people really instilled about America and the greatest country. and Okay, and he's a heretic. And yet he, his words form arguments which are often not grounded in Scripture. And they're even contrary to Scripture. However, because of the powerful presentation of his words and because of them being mixed with occasional truth from Scripture, which are combined with conservative emotions of national pride, as well as pride in the people of Israel, his sermons are accepted as wholly truthful. And yet there may be very little truth at all in him. I'm not going to give his name. I've given him a million times. If you don't want, if you want to know who it is, just go click onto the TV and listen for the guy that's the loudest. He's a great, great orator. San Antonio, okay. San Antonio yeah. But when analyzed apart from the eloquent oration, what he states often forms unsound, non-biblical messages. I am a big fan of conservatism. Everybody here should know that. If you don't, You haven't been paying attention. I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of doing your job in a nation. If it means you can vote, then vote. If it means that you should be supporting the right people to stop abortion, I believe that. But that is not the point and purpose of Scripture. If that is your message to lure people in, and your message about Scripture is either false or tainted with falsity, there's a problem there. Okay, There's a big problem there. The list of people like this, especially in more modern times, we have got four minutes, where their writings are available, is long, and it grows longer by the day. We must be careful never, never to get caught up in being deceived by persuasive words, but all things must be compared with Scripture. That is the basis of our faith, Scripture, okay? Life application. Do you truly measure the words of the teachers you listen to against Scripture? Or do you just take their instruction at face value because their arguments sound correct? First, never take any commentary concerning God's Word at face value, but rather check it out against His Word. Don't just check it out. Check it out against the Word. And secondly, how can you check out an analysis of God's Word against what His Word actually says unless you know enough of it to make the check. Know your Bible. That is what I would ask you to do. I ask you to do it every single Bible study. I ask you to do it at the end of every sermon. I would ask you to know your Bible. I believe that everybody that is sitting in this class, when they come, knows Jesus. That's why I don't give gospel presentations in the class. It's because people that are here obviously want to know the word, And if they want to know the word, it's because they know the Lord, okay? If somebody just comes arbitrarily into a Bible class, I've never seen him before, you'll probably hear me weaving in the gospel during the presentation. I don't need to do that today. But I will remind you, as I do every single week, that you need to know this word. Because coming to Bible class is only a portion of what you need to do. You need to read this in the morning, read it at night, think on it during the day, meditate on it. That's what you need to do. I'm going to tell you what happened this week. I had, um, who was with me? Um, I was with somebody. Oh, my brother. I had to help him, okay, Which? pick up an, an, the one that isn't. Um, uh, I had to pick up a, uh, a freezer for him, okay, because he's, he, okay. So I, I, if I had the Bible in my car running, He probably would have caught on fire. The whole car would have exploded. Okay, he he would have been very upset at me. Okay, so we got just enough time to say this. So I actually turned off the Bible, which is something that I I never do. When I'm in the car, that Bible is going all the time. Now, when Andrew was here, um, uh, Andrew, okay, uh, I had to turn it down because we were talking. Okay, but I still want to hear it going. I want to hear the word. Okay, but with my brother, he, he probably wouldn't have gotten in the car. I'm not listening to that. Turn it off or I'm, you know, and he, I can't give the, the details. But anyway, so as soon as I got back, I'm driving away from his house. I'm about two blocks away and I'm listening to, what uh, you know, uh, 107.9, the oldest station, okay? And I thought, isn't this great music? And that's when I thought, no. And I put the Bible back on. I don't want to get away from the word. That's what you all should feel in your hearts. And I'm not saying don't listen to music because when I'm working in the, the house during the day, I have music playing all day long. But that's because I'm sending people messages about the Bible. I'm doing something with the Bible. I'm practicing a sermon. When I'm actually in the Word, I always turn off the music. But when I'm just doing stuff, I don't care what's playing. I just like background music because it helps me not think about all the problems of the world because your mind is always doing at least two things and if not three okay so i just have stuff going that doesn't bother me but when i was driving i i started to think oh i'm liking this music and i thought i don't want to like that music i want to listen to the word listen to the word think on the word and cherish the word if you do that that's where my happy spot is heavenly father thank you this wonderful word you've given us what a treasure what a delight it is lord help us to uh, handle it properly in all ways and help us to be willing to check out the guy that we listen to at bible class tonight each person here is responsible for checking it out and making sure that what i have said is correct and lord if i'm not i would ask you would send me somebody that gives me a message and says would you check this out charlie i think you were wrong i always appreciate that Thank you, Lord, for people that are willing to build each other up. Thank you for those who are willing to pursue your word. And, Lord, thank you for Jesus, our Lord, who died on the cross so that we could be saved. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, let me back this up. Back this up. All right, let's see here. We're going go to go break.